Please turn your Bibles to the New Testament, the very last book in your Bibles, Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today. Revelation chapter 3 will begin in verse 14 today. Have you ever said the words, here I am, to someone? Maybe not exactly those words, but you might have said, here I am, in a job interview. You might have said, here I am, in a college application, just saying, these are my grades, this is my GPA. I don't know if they're taking those tests still, that's SAT or the ACT. Here's my score, here I am, all of me. For her hand in marriage, here I am, this is me. And when you say here I am, a whole bunch of feelings come with it. For sure, the feeling, the sense of vulnerability, because you're laying yourself out there. Maybe a sense of hope. Just a hope that they'll accept you for who you are. Maybe a relief when they say yes. Yes, we want you to go to our school. Yes, I will go out on that date with you. Or maybe a sense of freedom, that you can be who you are. Someone has accepted you, has welcomed you, that you can be who you are authentically because you laid yourself out there. Some of you have said, here I am to God, the one who created you, and you have come to him with all of your insecurities, all of your vulnerabilities, all of your fears and your pride, all of your mistakes, all of your addictions, all of your brokenness and lies, and all of your sin. And thankfully, he says, welcome home. You belong here. We've been in a series over the last nine weeks, and we've called the series here I am. And we searched the scriptures and explored the stories of the Bible of people who said those three words. And there are people in the Bible who said these three words like Isaiah the prophet, Mary the mother of Jesus, David the shepherd king, Ananias, Moses the leader of Israel, Samuel, Abraham the father of nations. And last week, Garrett thought we were going to have the last, the last uh, sermon in our series, but because of poor staff communication, <laughs> we have one more today. Sorry about that. We will explore the scriptures, what the scriptures say in Revelation chapter 3 when Jesus says, here I am. Revelation 3, chapter 14 let me read this to you. <clears throat> to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, 
that you were neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the truth of God's word. In the beginning of the book of Revelation, we read that the author, the Apostle John, sent a messenger with seven letters from Jesus to the seven churches. In these seven churches, Jesus would mostly commend the churches. That means he would say something good about them, and uh, he would also correct the churches. That would mean say something bad about them. But with the church at Laodicea, Jesus didn't commend her. If you were looking at a map or if you were traveling in the area, this messenger would have begun his travel along a circular route in the region, first visiting the church at Ephesus. And then moving northward, he would pass through the cities of Smyrna and Pergamum. And then turning southeast, his journey would lead him to Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia, finally having come almost full circle along this well-traveled trade route, he would arrive at the final destination to deliver the letter to the church at Laodicea. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the city of Laodicea from the historians, what they know. Um, Laodicea was probably the wealthiest city in the region. It was a city not only known for its wealth because of the strong banking center that they had, but it was also known for the business or the, the industry of textiles, linen, that was shiny black wool because of the black sheep that were shepherded in the region. Just think about black sheep and what that means. As well, not just business, not just wealth because of the banks, but because of its medical school. Probably the most famous product to come out of that region of Laodicea was an eye ointment made from the powder produced in that area. Now we don't know how or when the gospel came to Laodicea. The Apostle Paul apparently never visited that city, but he did pray for her, and you could see that in your notes in 
Colossians chapter, Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul went out of his way to make sure the letter to the Colossians was also read to the church that was in Laodicea. Paul even wrote a letter to Laodicea, and we don't have that letter in our Bibles, but he refers to it, that letter in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, after this letter, the letter to the Colossians, has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church in Laodicea, and that you in turn read the letter that I wrote to them. And so there was a letter, we don't know what happened to it, it's not in our Bibles today, but really the crux of this text today is what was Jesus saying to this church at Laodicea? Remember, of the seven letters to the churches, this is the only church that Jesus had only negative or corrective words to. And I think we could say, because of that, this church was so sick that Jesus, in a way, puts on his doctor's white examination coat, and he diagnoses it and then prescribes something for this church. Jesus says in verse 18, in chapter 3 of our text, he says, I counsel you. That word also could mean I prescribe to you. I prescribe you to buy from me salve to put on your eyes so that you could see, is what he says. There were many doctors in Laodicea because of the medical school and because of this famous medical school, they produced a lot of medicines, especially this special medication for the eyes. And Jesus is saying to the church, you are sick, but I have medicine for you. So what are the symptoms, what's the symptom of the sickness that Jesus tells us about here in this letter? And it's very apparent that the symptom is spiritual lukewarmness. So what, I think it's so important for us to understand, what is spiritual lukewarmness? Now, being lukewarm is contrasted is in what we read in verse 19 here, important to know. Revelation 3, 19, it says, For those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now, the word earnestness here is the opposite of lukewarm. So start thinking in that direction. Earnest is opposite of lukewarm. So what is earnestness? It's the Greek word zealous. And we would get our English word zealous, right? Now, it's not a word that all of us use all the time, but we could say this. A lukewarm Christian is without zeal for God. So what is zeal for God, or what is zealousness? That's what we need to figure out today. It's interesting to note this. Very interesting. In all the places in the Bible that this word is used in the New Testament, it is translated most of the time as jealous. So let's think about that. Now, zealous is mostly a positive trait, right? It's energetic, it's energetically passionate, it's 
committed, strongly, highly committed to something. That's zealousness. But jealous is mostly thought of as a negative trait. Envious. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to the letters to the churches in the New Testament. He's saying, he says at least twice, maybe three times, stop being filled with jealousy and envy. So how can zealous and jealous be translated from the same Greek word? Let's figure this out. Okay, so here, here's my crack at it. When you're jealous for someone, that's important to know, when you're jealous for someone, your love for someone is intensely single-minded. And anyone or anything that comes between you and your love will be met with passionate zealousness. Okay? However, if you are jealous for yourself, your love for someone is self-centered. And anyone or anything that comes between you and your self-centered love will be met with passionate anger and against the one you love, accusing them. So Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, let me read this to you. The letter says, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is some serious stuff. I, it would make sense that Jesus wants believers to be hot, right? Passionate, zealous, excited to be connected in a relationship with him. Does that make sense to you? Yeah? Okay. But cold? He says, I'd you know, be either hot or cold. So cold, that's interesting. Doesn't like the lukewarm, it's clear. But he says either hot or cold. Why would Jesus want you to be hot or cold but not lukewarm? Because that's important for us to know. I think anyone who's been a servant leader in ministry understands people who are hot for God, like passionate, like, you know, zealous, excited to be in relationship with God. And if you're serving in ministry, I think you understand cold, too. People who are um, not excited about a relationship with God. Maybe even um, a sense of uninterested for God would be cold, I think. And I... I was thinking about this this week, that I understand hot and cold, lukewarm, we'll have to unpack that in a little bit. But I was thinking, in 1983, we planted our first church, and it was a church on the beach in Hermosa Beach, just south of the pier, on the sand, maybe about 100 feet from the strand there. The strand is where everyone walks and rides their bikes and Right in front of the uh, Sea Sprite Motel is where we were at. We planted our church on the beach, right on the sand, and it was a wild time. It was the end of the Jesus movement, I mean the very end of the Jesus movement. And on Saturdays, we had zealous for Jesus girls and guys 
on roller skates and skateboards in the summer, riding along the strand and passing out flyers to come to church on the beach the next day, 11 o'clock. Come on down. It's right here, right on the sand. Come as you are. Bring a beach chair or a towel or a blanket or whatever. We're going to have church right on the sand right here. And so we had a thousand. I remember every week I'd order a thousand flyers for church on the beach. I still remember what that looked like. And, uh, and we had these zealous for Jesus, guys and girls, roller skates and skateboards, just handing out these flyers on, on the strand. And then on Sunday, I would tell people about the good news. And there were a regular group of guys, mostly guys, who would come and hang out on the strand and make fun of us. They were cold for Jesus. They would yell things at us. They would play their music really loud to try to drown us out. They would talk loudly and not pay attention to what we were saying. They were not hot for Jesus. They were cold for Jesus. Who was my target audience? It was those guys. I wanted them to hear the good news. The cold people. The hot people, they were there on the sand. They were like passing out the flyers. They were hanging out. They were worshiping. And at the end of the summer, the regular group of guys, there was one guy, and we were we had speakers and all kinds of you know, sound stuff, and we would um, take our speakers and put them in this van, and so we would be carrying these things out, and one of the guys said, hey, you want some help? And I was like, all right. I mean, you didn't help me all summer, but uh, uh, so he grabbed a speaker, and it was just me and him we were putting the last ones in the van, and he says to me, when I was a kid, we went to church. And he said, do you think it's too late for me to come back to Jesus? And so I pulled him aside. Other people were kind of coming around, and I said, no, man. It's not too late. Jesus has been waiting for you. He said, ah, that's, that's good. And so I said, in fact, one of the ways that you could profess this is to be baptized right now. And he said, let's do it. And so I, I got him and a, like three leaders, and we went down to the water, the waves right there. And I, I said, tell him your story. So he told this story that didn't re really make a lot of sense, but probably had too many beers already. And I said, uh, do you believe in Jesus? And he said, yes. So, I, so I, I said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And boom, we went in the water, came up, everyone cheered and hugged. And then we went to Taco Bill's right there on the strand and, and had lunch together. Lukewarm people are not excited, not electrified, not moved by the fact that Jesus Christ died for them on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He was put in a grave and then three days later rose from the dead. He's alive today, the scriptures tell us that there will be a day, there will be a day that he will show himself again here on earth. So where are you at? That's our question, right? I mean, that, that's really what this is all about. Where are you at? Are you hot or are you cold or are you lukewarm? 
Lukewarm people believe. They're believers and they ignore the beauty of the Savior. Lukewarm people are further from Jesus than cold people, I think. The symptom of the church of Laodicea is lukewarmness. And Jesus sees apathetic, bored, without passion, without joy, without wonder in their relationship with Jesus. And he doesn't say to them, I'm so angry at you. Jesus is not angry at you if you are lukewarm. He says, you turn my stomach. I'm nauseated because of your lukewarmness. In fact, I want to vomit you out. Why is Jesus being so serious here? Well, this is the diagnosis here. Remember what Laodicea was known for. Remember, we talked about what is Laodicea like. They were known for success and accomplishments, for business and fabrics. They were known for wealth because of the banking center, and they were known for medicine. And I I just love this so much. Please look at this in verse 17, how Jesus is being ironic here. He's saying, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. Jesus says, in spite of how rich you are, Laodicea, in spite of how well-clothed you are and how healthy you are, Spiritually, you are poor, and you are naked, and you are blind. How about you? This is obviously a message to this church, a letter, but in the scriptures, it's obviously about us. I think we have to ask ourselves that question. Let me ask you, does the knowledge that the one who created you in his own image, that loves you, that he gave up his son for you so that you can be forgiven for your sins, that you can live forever with him, that he put the Holy Spirit inside of you to change you from the inside out, does that move you at all? And and maybe you don't think or feel like that you're a sinner. You just don't... Maybe you don't really think or feel like you're a sinner. And if that's you, you don't really understand that you are a miracle of grace. Do you think, do you think that in Southern California, we are living in a modern day Laodicea? We think we're, we're, well, I was going to say, we think we're rich. Maybe you don't think you're rich, but you are. We think we're so well clothed. You look so good today. And we think we're successful. At least we're trying to be. And I think that there is a link between affluence and success and a higher probability of spiritual lukewarmness. Can, Can you think of that? That if you're affluent and successful and healthy and wealthy and wise, that there is a link between that and 
spiritual lukewarmness. I, I hear about, I, I, I read about Christians in other countries, in poor and developing countries, where maybe it's illegal to be a believer in Jesus Christ. People in these countries will come to the United States and observe Christians like us. Like they would come here and, and look at us and talk with us and see where we live and how we behave and what we talk about and what we think about and what's important to us. And they will always observe their honest observations is Americans hardly pray. You hardly pray. They'll observe Americans spend most of their money on themselves. And they'll observe Americans you're afraid to talk about Jesus with your neighbors. Jesus gives us a remedy, a prescription for our disease. Revelation chapter 3, 18 and 19. In 18, he says, I counsel you, I prescribe you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see those whom I love, I rebuke in discipline. And so there's, there's three things here with the remedy that I could see. If you're taking notes, this would be a good time. I, I think the first one I, I see in verse 18, he says these two words, from me. I think that's so key here. It's dependence. It, he's saying, don't be dependent on your accomplishments and your business success, but be dependent on me. He says, buy from me. Get it from me. Don't get it from any place else. Don't get it from your good report card. Don't get it for someone who says, wow, what a beautiful house. Don't get it from those places. He's saying, get it from me. He says, get gold from me. It's spiritual riches. He's saying, get white clothes from me to cover your your, your nakedness and that they would be a sign of righteousness for you. And he says, get salve for your eyes. You think, Laodicea, you have the best eye ointment on the planet? He says, from me, get this medicine so that you can see clearly with your spiritual eyes. He says, be dependent on me. The second thing he says, and it's, it's hard, there must be suffering. To cure yourself of lukewarmness, there must be suffering. In verse 18, he talks about gold being refined in fire. We sang about it. We, the worship team led us in this song, and it's a beautiful song, but did we really think about the, the refining in fire to make that gold pure? There needs to be that refining and then he says in verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke in discipline. I hate to tell you this, but to remedy yourself of lukewarmness, there must be suffering. Suffering is getting rid of lukewarmness in a Christian's life. It must be dependent, there must be suffering, and the third, it's good news. You are loved. 
He says in verse 19, those whom I love. That's how to get rid of lukewarmness. Verse 20, our three words in our series, Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This verse here has been used. You've heard it. You've used it maybe. A pastor has used it. I've used it like this. Evangelists use this verse to call unbelievers, right, to Jesus. It's a classic verse. You see it on coffee cups and posters and signs and T-shirts and all that sort of a thing. But we know, because we've done work on this verse, on this passage now for about 20 minutes, that this is Jesus' call to, unbel- I mean, to believers, not to unbelievers, right? This is Jesus' invitation to believers. He's saying, I'm already knocking on this door for you to come in and sit down and eat together and be in an intimate relationship with Jesus. Verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is truly amazing. Jesus gives, the, gives believers the right to sit with him in heaven because he achieved victory for us. For us. You see, Jesus, Jesus is zealous for you. And because of his zeal, he gave up everything so that you could be set free from sin and sit with him at the throne in heaven. We're not just going to be hanging around heaven. We get to sit with him on the throne because he was victorious for all of us. So here's the application for today. We've read the text. I've done my best to try to explain the text to us. The application for today is this. I think we live in a modern-day Laodicea. We look around, and there's affluence everywhere. And honest, let's be honest, I think we're trying to compete. And we live where there's success and achievements everywhere. Let's be honest, and we're trying to compete. And there's comfort everywhere. We feel relatively secure and safe with all kinds of things. And we want more of it. We don't want to be uncomfortable. The question before each and every one of us today, am I hot for Jesus? Am I cold for Jesus? Am I lukewarm Jesus and the question is will I quiet my heart long enough to hear Jesus knocking at the door 
and will I open the door and let him in and have an intimate relationship with him? Is any of this true for me? Is any of this true for you?